The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Episode 129. My goodness, look at us still pushing forward. Thank you all so much for your support of this podcast. We got some great stuff for you this week. I'm so excited for this week's show. So let me just first get through the housekeeping, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do this week because it is just exciting all around. I love the conversation topics we're going to be getting into. Uh, first, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast. We're on four platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. So pretty much wherever you can find podcasts, you can find us, and we certainly hope you do, and you tell your friends where to find us as well. You can reach out to the Break the Business podcast at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. So if you've Never come upon this show before. We are a podcast that's all about helping indie artists move their careers forward. I'm an entertainment lawyer by trade. I live to help indie artists move their careers forward. And so one of the ways that we do that through this podcast is if you're an indie artist and you have a question about your music career, or you have a question about entertainment law, or just a question about something music entrepreneurship related, you can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com and we'll turn your question into a conversation topic. We'll get your question answered. And if I don't know the answer to your question, I will reach out to my network of music industry experts, the kind of extra experts we bring on each week and they'll answer the question for you whatever it is we'll get you the help you need folks you can follow me on twitter at ryan k-a-i-r that's r-y-a-n-k-a-i-r first name and the first four letters of my last name and you can like the break the business podcast at facebook.com slash break the business i'm all for the social media interaction people I love talking to folks on social media. I am a regular Twitter interactor. So you follow me on Twitter. We're going to have some great conversations there. And if you have any questions for me about your career, I'm happy to answer them on Twitter. I'm here to get you the help you need, folks. And speaking of helping you guys out, I also have a book about the music industry. Uh, You can find it, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. If you're looking for a book. That's going to talk about the dangers of record deals, but more importantly, talk about how you can achieve success on your own terms, how you can take control of your career, take control of your music creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising, and be the boss of your own industry, not just a businessman, but a businessman, as they say. That's the book for you. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. All right, enough shameless plugging. Let's get to the show. Our guest this week on this fantastic show that I'm so excited for, Andrew. Hits is going to be joining us. That's Hits with a Z. I adore this guy. So smart, so talented. I'm so madly jealous of him because, man, he's just he's he's just so good at many different things. Like he's an expert on the business side of music, and he's a really good musician. Like I'm only kind of one of those two things because I mean I play a little bit, but I'm not nearly an accomplished musician like this guy is. But he's a business expert and a music expert. He's got all the bona fides, and we're going to talk to him. And I'm so excited for that. That's coming up in the next segment. Let me tell you a bit about him. He's an internationally renowned 
renowned musician. All right. This guy played with the Boston Brass for many years. He's a fantastic tuba player, very accomplished musician, has played all around the world in any venue you could think of that's of any measure of prominence. He's been there. And now he works a lot in the areas of music and entrepreneurship. He is the host of the Entrepreneurial Musician Podcast. He's a college music teacher. He's uh, spoken and played music all over the world, as I said before. He's awesome. We're going to get some great, great tips from him. But there's another topic I want to talk to him about, and it's a subject that's really been uh, bouncing around my head a lot for the last few weeks, and I know it's something that he's going to have some expertise about because he's written a lot about this in the past, and that's this idea of how music schools teach entrepreneurship, or more specifically, fail to teach it. So to give you an idea of what I'm saying, Andrew Hitz once wrote in a blog that the music business has changed so much in the last decade, and yet the degree requirements for a music major at over 95% of all colleges in the world are almost identical to what they were in the 1950s, which is insane. I couldn't agree with him more. This is something that, I mean, I've just, I'm a, I'm a dog with a bone about this. I mean, in the new, in this new music industry, it's so critical for musicians like you to not just be great at your craft, to not just be great at your instrument, to not just be amazing singers and songwriters, but you got to be good entrepreneurs as well. That is a job requirement. If you want to succeed in this new music industry, you got to have mastery over your instrument, but you also have to have mastery over business plans, financial planning, marketing, strategic ma- uh, management, and that mastery has to be equal to that of your mastery over your instrument. And even though this is the case, and even though we know all of this isn't the case, college music programs are exactly the same as they were 50 years ago, back when musicians didn't have to be entrepreneurs. They're still teaching the same classes about instrument mastery, and even though that is important, I'm not discounting that you got to be good at music to succeed in the music industry, music schools are doing their students a disservice. If you are a music student, your music school is likely doing you a disservice by not also giving you the entrepreneurship education that you need. And you might be saying to yourself, well, but my music school has a music business major, so they're good with it. Well, I would dispute that for two reasons. One, it's not just the music business majors in your music school that need to understand business. All the musicians, from the music business majors to the guitar majors to the voice majors to the tuba majors, you all have to understand the business side of music. You all have to understand how to be an entrepreneur. You have to understand how to run a business empire. It's just as important as your instrument. It's not just something that the music business majors need to learn. If music is anywhere in your uh, academic description, you got to learn the business stuff. And here's the other thing. These music business majors, I've looked at the curriculum. I've looked at the course catalogs for these majors. They're still not adequate because a lot of these music business majors are still focused on the way the music industry was 20 years ago. So the class you're going to be taking is, you know, how a major record label works, how a major publishing company works, which is all fine and good, except 20 years from now, those things aren't going to exist, or they're certainly not going to exist in the way that we know them. And that's not the kind of business you as a music student need to learn. You're not, you don't need to learn about the big business. You need to learn about entrepreneurship. You need to learn how to run your own small business, everything from marketing to financial planning, all that stuff. That's what your major needs to focus on, both in the music business major and in all of the music business schools, uh, all, and, 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 and music business major and all the music majors throughout a music school. I would love 
to see music schools just completely shift the way they do things. Just, you know, just tear the whole, fa- uh, you know, construct up, start again and build a music school that has a true music entrepreneurship focus for every music student that walks in the door. Cause I don't care what instrument you're studying. You have to learn this stuff. It's just as important as learning your instrument. And again, I'm not trying to say you don't need to learn your craft. I'm not trying to just destroy the art of music. You you should very, you know, you still need a rigorous education in whatever instrument you came there to learn. But if you're not learning entrepreneurship as well, your school is doing you a disservice. And I want to make sure you musicians are prepared for tomorrow's careers, which is going to be all about creating your own success and running your own music business. And so I want to make that the topic for this week. And I'm going to talk to Andrew Hitz about that. I want to get his perspective. One of the questions I want to ask him, because he he works in higher education. He's a college music teacher. And I kind of just want to ask him, let's say you were a dean of a school of music and you could build your dream school of music however you want to build it. You don't have to worry about things like accreditation and licensing and, and all the bureaucracy that comes with building a music school. You just get to build your own music school from scratch. And I give you unlimited funds to do it. What does your perfect music school look like? And I want to see how much he talks about music entrepreneurship as a big component of that music school program, because I bet um, it's going to be a big part of it. And look, if you guys are music students right now, if you are listening to this as a college music student, I need you to take a good hard look at the curriculum you're getting and see if that curriculum is really focused on music entrepreneurship adequately. And if you're not getting that education you need to find it. You need to find it before you graduate. And luckily, you exist in a world where there's lots of music entrepreneurship instructional tools out there for you. There's lots of blogs. There's lots of websites. There's lots of podcasts like this one. You need to be a voracious consumer of that kind of media. You need to make yourself the entrepreneur you need to be because, unfortunately, that very high-priced college education you're getting isn't quite doing the job for you. So I'm excited to bring in Andrew Hitz, and we're going to talk to him all about that stuff. And then coming up in the third segment, so excited, we are opening up the Break the Business Coffee House again. And the, the coffee house is presented by our friends over at Women Crush Music. We bring in acoustic performers roughly once a month from the Miami area. They crush it every single time. This is the third one we've done. Every time we do it, it is a big, big hit. And then you guys just tweet at me and email me, when are you doing another coffee house? Well, guess what? We're doing one right now. Joining us in the coffee house in the third segment is going to be Emia. She is a terrific, terrific singer-songwriter. I had the pleasure of watching her perform at a Women Crush Music Showcase in Miami a few months back. She performed with a bunch of UM students. It was phenomenal. God, that music school is just churning out so much great talent. You can check her out at thisisemia.com. So she's coming up in the third segment. She's going to be terrific. You know, and she's a either a music student or a recent music graduate. I got to talk to her about where she is in her education. But either way, she has been recently exposed to college music programs. So I kind of want to get her perspective on the entrepreneurship focus or lack thereof that exists in music education. Because as somebody like her who is trying to make her own success in music and is an indie artist, I'd love to see how much she thinks that her own college music education has done right by her. That's going to be cool. So we got a great, so here's the thing. We got a good meaty interview coming up in the next segment with Andrew Hitz. Um, I'm sure he's going to want to talk at length about this stuff. So I just want to get right into it. So that's coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. 
The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is an internationally renowned musician, teacher, consultant, and speaker in the areas of music and entrepreneurship. You can check him out as the host of the Entrepreneurial Musician Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and at his website, andrewhits.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Hits is on the Break the Business Podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Ryan. It's an honor. I'm so thrilled to have you. You've accomplished so much. You, um, Unlike me, you actually got musician bona fides as well, in addition to all this music entrepreneur <laughs> stuff, which is pretty impressive. Um, there's so much about you that's just really, really cool. On top of, of course, you know the, the great things you've done just as a performer, um, particularly with brass music. Um, can you walk the listeners through some of the highlights of your career trajectory that have brought you to where you are now? Absolutely. The The highlights are that the main thing that I have done with my career was I was a member of the Boston Brass, which is a brass quintet. I did that for 14 years. Um, I actually dropped out of my master's degree uh, when uh, there they had an opening and I won that audition and uh, you don't stay in school to get a classical music performance degree when there is an actual gig uh, available so I uh, I went running and um, and I got to travel the world I performed in in about 30 countries with Boston Brass most of those multiple times uh, over those 14 years and um, I stepped uh, aside about four years ago or so which is when I uh, also, well, actually, there was a little bit before that. I ramped up a lot of solo stuff. Um, from a music business standpoint, I realized that I had a lot more name recognition as Andrew Hits, the tuba player in Boston Brass, and a lot less is just Andrew Hits. And uh, so I knew I wanted to get off the road. I wanted to start a family. I was already married, but I wanted to have a kid. And um, and so anyway, that's when I really ramped up. Uh, that's when I published my first book. That's when I... Um, that's when I started uh, a couple of blogs, and then that's when the, the seeds were planted for the two podcasts that I host now, and I also started teaching college at that time, and, uh, and so I, a few years later, stepped down from Boston Brass, and I now teach at Shenandoah Conservatory, and I am a music business consultant, and, um, and I do uh, freelance work. I'm very blessed that I get to do some really, really cool stuff. We were supposed to do this interview last week, and you very graciously let me cancel on you a day before because the National Symphony Orchestra called to play at the Kennedy Center, which is uh, a call that I try to never say no to because that's one of the best uh, best bands in the world. Generally so, a good, good uh, piece of advice there. Yes, exactly. So that's basically it in a nutshell. Man, uh, yeah, you, you might just be the hardest to book tuba player in America right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's, I've been very, very fortunate. Well, very fortunate. I, I mean... For, for a tuba player, that's a pretty damn illustrious career. <laughs> like I, yeah, there's, there's, uh, it, it's, um, I will say, I will take credit for the fact that when opportunities have presented themselves, that I have taken advantage of them. However, there's a lot of being in the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, and that's just dumb luck. I mean, the fact that I was able to, that I didn't even have a single day between finishing my master's degree and, 
and like having a full-time performing gig as a tuba player is really unheard of. And that timing was just, you know, was just luck. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've been very blessed. Can you elaborate a little bit more about the forces that sort of drew you from being uh, just a tuba player to getting more interested in the entrepreneurial side of music and wanting to do all of the entrepreneurial things that you're doing now? Absolutely. I can really pinpoint it was I read Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Crush It, which he actually just released an updated version of that, which I have purchased, but I have not read yet. Uh, but uh, Crush It is an incredible book. It is, uh, it's dated at this point with uh, a lot of the social media platforms it mentions, but uh, I, that book had my mind absolutely racing. And, um, and I also am I'm very lucky that uh, some of my best friends in the world are, are some ridiculously successful entrepreneurs within the music business. David Cutler, who wrote The Savvy Musician, which was like the first really big book in the classical world on being an entrepreneur, uh, Renan Meyer, who's the bass player for Time for Three. Um, so I've, um, I've been right next to some of the most innovative and forward-thinking and uh, people with follow-through and who are always shipping what they're working on. And, um, and it finally, that combined with Gary's book really kind of uh, caught fire, and, uh, and I haven't really looked back. That was in... I, I read that book when we were on tour in Brazil in May of 2010, so I can like really pinpoint exactly when it was, and um, and things just kind of took off from there. Well, you made a great transition from music student to very well-traveled musician to music entrepreneur expert, and for the college music students that are out there right now who kind of want to learn more about the entrepreneurial side of the business, but... They don't know where to start in terms of getting that information. What would be the best resources that are available for them today to fill that gap? If you were a college music student today, what resources would you look to to learn more about the business side of the industry? I would. Well, first of all, there are so many podcasts that just like yours that are really good. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on it right now. Uh, there's just there <laughs> when, when, uh, you know, when you and I were, you know, were, were that, that age, there was not this much information available at the time. Now you can listen to someone who like yourself, who actually is a lawyer in the entertainment space, giving away free information that is directly coming from what you are having your clients do. That's like, that's invaluable. Not that long ago, you had to go to very specific schools and then get into specific classes with specific professors to have that kind of access to real life, not just out of a textbook. Um, and so just get curious and just uh, consume as much stuff as you can. But there's, uh, there's a, a great book by Stephen Pressfield, uh, which is called The War of Art. And he talks in that he talks that that's a that's a life changing book. If anyone listening to this has not heard it, I can't recommend it any high, more highly. And it's a really quick read. Uh, but one of the things that he talks about is as he's an author and he's talking mainly about being an author, but it goes for any artist. Obviously, he didn't say the war of writing. It's the war of art. And um, and he talks about how at some point you have to stop doing research. And he actually limits himself to a certain number of books that he reads on a topic before he starts writing his next book. And then you just have to start writing even. And when you first start anything, when you first start a podcast, it is not if it's not 
it's not going to be any good compared to episode 100 or you're doing something drastically wrong in episode 100. The first website that you have is going to be pretty terrible because you don't even know what you should put or what you shouldn't put, what you should feature or not. The navigation isn't going to be as clear as it needs to be for your customers, etc. But the point is that you have to start by not just reading 19 books and listening to 25 podcast episodes about building a website. You need to just build a website and then look around and get in the feedback loop and figure out what you could be doing better. And then just minor tweaks. If you improve something 2% every day, then uh, before you know it, it's twice as good as than when you started. So you don't need to make it twice as good a week later. You just You just chip away, chip away, chip away. And at first, you don't even know what you don't know. So uh, just get in the game and uh, tell your ego to buzz off and recognize that the first song you ever wrote, if you're a singer-songwriter, it was not any good. I mean, it just wasn't. <laughs> um, I don't care who you are, right? Um, and so you just have to – it's a form of hiding when you're waiting. And classical musicians, oh, my goodness, are we guilty of this, where everything has to be perfect, whatever that even means. You know, we hide behind perfection and um, – and that's a way of hiding, of not sharing with the world what you do. So, yes, seek out lots of resources from the actual women and men in the world who are doing this and, and really making a ruckus, as Seth Godin likes to say. But then also just do it and just start somewhere and then just, just go. Well, that's kind of the nice thing about this music industry climate that we're in is kind of what you're saying is, you know, learn as much as you can. But at some point, you got to just get out there and get started. and Today's musicians are living in a climate where it's never been easier to find out as much information as you can, but it's also never been easier to just get started. And yes. you know, it makes for, for a pretty exciting atmosphere to operate in. Speaking of learning about music, um, I want to pick your brain on something that I think we both find interesting because I've read some of the stuff you've written about this. Um, you've specifically noted in the past how a lot of today's musicians um, – are, you know, they're given all the tools they need to find success in the industry, or they're not given all the tools, I should say, uh, to find success in the industry, and you place some of the blame on college music programs. You once wrote that the music business has changed so much in the last decade, and yet the degree requirements for a music major at over 95% of all colleges in the world are almost identical to what they were in the 1950s. And this is always something that's interested me, Andrew, because... Um, I, I've always just kind of wondered, why do you think that college music programs are so resistant to change? Why aren't we seeing more college music programs that focus on music entrepreneurship and focus on it in terms of the needs of today's musicians and music entrepreneurship? That's a really, that's a question that I could speak for, you know, a couple of hours on. I will spare you, have 30 you seconds. the, the <laughs> <laughs> I will spare you the full soapbox, which still gives me, yeah, like any of my friends listening to this are like, oh, so it's only going to be 15 minutes. No, um, the, um, so there's a few reasons. One of them, a lot of schools of music uh, in the United States are primarily, this is an oversimplification, but I think it's true, are primarily classical based. And then there's like a commercial program along with it or a jazz program along with it. Um, and there are certainly some schools that are absolutely, um, well, Berkeley is now combined with Boston Conservatory. So they're kind of a, a, a thing now rather than two things, but there are exceptions. But two of the slowest changing entities in the universe are classical music, classical music and academia. And you combine those two and it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, we're like it's like a time machine back to uh, yeah, back to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
Um, and so I think that there's a structural reason, which is that uh, tenured professors, I know that there are a lot of tenured professors who are quite good at teaching their instrument and teaching the rep, but back uh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you could get a job teaching college, uh, a tenured track position teaching college, and you could just go straight from, sometimes you didn't even need a doctor, but you could go straight from school into a pretty major gig and then stay there for 30 years, which doesn't really mean anything, but it does mean that you have not been an entrepreneur at all in general, because most of the people that are teaching full-time college um, are not also doing the side hustle thing. And so part of it is that they just haven't lived that. Um, but also I think it's just, it's just, there are not a lot of, um, my current dean, uh, Michael Stepniak at uh, Shenandoah Conservatory, is absolutely a visionary. Uh, it was just announced, actually. This is this was so exciting when I got this email. I almost drove the hour to campus and busted into his office and gave him a hug. Um, he <laughs> announced that next spring that the entire conservatory is shutting down for a full week. There is no class of any kind. The gen ed classes outside of the school of music will still meet because he, you know, we don't have control over those. But students will have no lessons, no organized rehearsals. The entire week is going to be students organizing their own performances, their own rehearsals, then actually executing the performances. It's basically a week designated to student-run performances, and there's going to be no guidance whatsoever to the students about what that should or ought to look like. Oh, it's putting um, that learning by doing that you talked about to the test. Yes, yes. And like on an institutional level, that makes me really excited to go to work, that I'm working now at a place that's like that. I've worked at other places in the past that would that would just never, ever do that. And so I think there is hope. There's also, there, there are a number of places that are now giving lip service to entrepreneurship, which which I, I like to be critical of. However, if I'm honest, giving lip service to it is is like a big, huge step forward compared to not addressing it or not even recognizing that it's an important thing. But the, the fact is that um, orchestras uh, are not a growth industry. Academia, which is a lot of what a lot of classical musicians who will then go through and get a doctorate that they, you know, they want to teach college. Well, that's not a growth industry. And then, oh, by the way, they go, there's an opening and they go and hire somebody like me who had one degree dropped out of my master's. So I, I have one, not three, but I have the professional experience and the reach that they hire me over you anyways, you know? And so <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it, yeah, the, there's uh, too many people with doctorates out there who can play the crap out of their instrument, who have resumes or excuse me, have diplomas from really great schools that at that point you're fungible with other people that have all of those requirements. So there are a few schools like the one that I'm at right now. Carnegie Mellon is a really big one. University of South Carolina is a big one. DePaul University. Boston Conservatory slash Berkeley is a big one. Michigan is a huge one. The University of Michigan um, that are really uh, turning things on their ear and are really trying to think outside the box. That's an overused term, but we all know exactly what it means. And for schools of music, that's a really big deal. So I'm actually filled with hope on this front, which is good. Well, let me ask you this. Because, I mean, I, I feel like I found my kindred spirit in this crusade to just upend music <laughs> education. Let's say I make Andrew Hitz the dean of his very own school of music. You have complete control 
authority over this school. Don't, you know, don't worry about things like accreditation or anything like that. Like, don't be bound by any of those kind of strictures. If you had to design the, because, you know, I work in higher education as well, so I know how much of a mess, like how much of an impediment to progress that can be. But um, assuming that you didn't have to worry about any of that, if you had to design what you believe would be the best kind of music business program that you know, teaches music, but also fully appreciates and embraces and teaches the kind of entrepreneurship today's musicians need. What would that look like? How would it be different from what we're doing now? Well, there, every single student that was getting a music degree would have to take a marketing class. Every student would have to take a class on finance, which includes tax stuff, which includes incorporating or not. Um, every, you know, nonprofits and what that actually means. It doesn't mean that people just give you a bunch of money because it's tax deductible and then you make music. It's like, you know, you know, you're a lawyer. It's way more complicated than that, right? I mean, it's a a tax designation. People are like, oh, I'm going to be a nonprofit and people will give me thousands of dollars. Like, cool, man, let me know how that goes. Um, The... uh, The so people would uh, there there would be networking class, which, again, isn't just you wouldn't just sit there and have some professor talking to you, telling you networking is important. Anyone knows that any incoming freshman at any school in the country knows networking is a good thing. But actually, and I loved your episode on, uh, you know, basically networking for dummies. It was great. Or what was it? Networking for people who suck at networking. That was really. Yeah, that was great. And that was like a really in a good way, not in a cheap way. That was a really, that's good copy. Everything is sales. That absolutely grabbed my attention. Um, you know, because it's like, yeah, for people that are outgoing, yeah, as you said, you heard lots of advice from people who are outgoing and, and they're just like, you know, just be outgoing. That's not helpful. Just to talk to people. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, that thing you're terrified of, just do that. It's like, <laughs> thanks man. Yeah. I'll, that's really helpful. You know, um, everyone would perform a lot more. Um, it is still, and that's why that performance week is really exciting to me. And again, where we're just going to like, we're just going to basically, you know, lock them in the school of music for a week and say, okay, figure it out, (laughs) you know, figure out the rehearsal spaces, figure out who's doing what, what the programs are, when the performances are going to be there, what audiences are going to be there, how you're going to publicize. I mean, all of it just has to get done by somebody or they're going to be in an empty hall. Uh, they're going to have to figure out who's running the lights and the sound and the, the equipment. And I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's everything. So school nowadays, well, not nowadays, always has been, I tell my students this all of the time that you get handed a syllabus and a syllabus. If, if I, as a professor ask you on your final, some piece of information that wasn't included on the initial syllabus, there's actually recourse to go up to a committee that like you can complain that I asked you something that you did not say was going to be on it. And then I will get reprimanded. You know, <laughs> this is, this is nothing with Shenandoah. This is just academia period. Right. Oh yeah. And, and as I tell them, uh, as I tell my students, they will never be in a situation ever again, at least that doesn't completely suck their soul out of their body and serve as some really, really awful job. They will never be in a position to get a syllabus where when you get married, you do not get a piece of paper from your spouse saying, if you just do all of these things, I will be happy forever. <laughs> um, you know, when you become a parent, that doesn't happen. When you host a podcast, you don't know what problems are going to crop up. You don't know. Uh, I mean, you don't even know what you don't know, as I said earlier. And so just the experience of doing a lot of this stuff and not just being a, a passive listener in 
uh, you know, in class and lecture. Next year, I'm starting uh, a, a class called the Entrepreneurial Musician, and there's, it's going to be an experiential thing where they're going to be in groups and are going to be doing projects and getting out into the community and doing all of that stuff rather than me just lecturing on entrepreneurship, um, which is kind of like hearing people lecture about basketball. At some point, you have to take a basketball and go shoot it at a hoop and miss a bunch of shots and hit a bunch of shots and get into the feedback loop. But you, again, you have to do it. So that's how I would uh, change the world. And also as the Dean, I would completely outsource all fundraising because that sounds awful to me, so, <laughs> which is like, which is like probably your most important job, right? So I don't think I'm cut out to be a Dean, but, uh, but yeah, so, but that's a great question. I, even just answering that has me excited thinking about the future because we're moving slowly, but we are moving in that direction, which was not true 10 years ago. Well, I bet it a lot of, wasn't. I bet a lot of musicians here are excited and are ready to audit this, uh, entrepreneurial musician class that you're going to be putting <laughs> out. Um, you, you got to make it like a MOOC or something so that other yeah, people can enjoy it. There you go. Um, so as you're building your perfect music school, I imagine you're contemplating areas that you know are blind spots for artists. So you want to kind of come up with education that will help them there. So what areas, as you were putting this together, what areas of music entrepreneurship were you kind of identifying as the biggest blind spot for indie artists today? Where do they tend to mess up the most? Well, the... Most musicians I know are not great with money and uh, at least not like until they do it, uh, you know, and the tax thing is really confusing and that's before new tax bills are passed, which is going to happen for the rest of time. I mean, you know, it just, it happens. The tax code changes. Uh, so knowing like the legalese, you know, in terms of like sometimes halls require performance insurance and, um, you know, various things that you can have an agent, you know, help you take care of, but, uh, agents are, you know, it's been my experience that agents are amazing at taking 20% of every check and then that they're sometimes good at other things, you know. But they're um, really good at taking the 20%. Yeah, they're they like are, ninjas they, at it. Yeah, it's like all you got to do is move that decimal point over once and then double it and you're good, you know. It's like, yeah, they're ready to rock, you know. Um, the uh, It's even a tuba player can do that math in their head, so um, – but, uh, but so, so yeah, a lot of that really technical stuff is probably what I would say, cause that's the stuff that can really get you by the way, you know, it's like, for example, when you do a, a Kickstarter campaign, if you do one and Kickstarter, you know, is not a place where you build a fan base. That's where you bring a fan base to, to help you to make some projects, you know, a reality or some idea of a project. Um, but for example, you, a lot of people that I work with don't understand until it's pointed out to them that the IRS considers that income. And so you, if you need to have $5,000 to make your recording session happen, then you have to factor in the Kickstarter percentage, the, uh, the credit card percentage, and then you got to like, you know, figure out that's only 80% of what you're going to get because the you know you got to take 20% or 25 or whatever off the top for the IRS so suddenly that 5000 you actually need to raise like 6600 or you know etc something like that 
And they go, oh, because 5,000 sounded like a big number, and then 6,600 sounds like a much bigger number. Um, so just kind of going into things with your eyes open like that, I think, uh, until you know that stuff. I um, mean, you as a lawyer, you know way more about that stuff than I do. I mean, I, I have a lot of experiences that I've learned things from a very specific incident that I've kind of accumulated over time. But in my business consulting career, I'm very quick to say, like, I am not Ryan. <laughs> you know, I'm not an entertainment lawyer. Um, so I don't, I'm not even hip on what exactly what the code was 10 years ago, let alone this week. So, you know, like, here's what I would tell you to do, but go hire somebody to figure it out. But that's probably the biggest blind spot for most of us because we work so hard on our art. And by the way, I talk so much about, um, about being an entrepreneur and selling yourself and marketing and networking and all that stuff. And I try to stop every once in a while on TEM and point out that, if your music isn't incredible, if what you do isn't the best in the world to whomever you're, and it can only be, you know, a thousand fans as, uh, you know, the thousand true fans, the great blog post, um, you know, on, on marketing, it doesn't need to be a large number of people, but if it's not remarkable, if it's not incredible art, then all of this work is for nothing anyways, right? Uh, if you're not a good lawyer, if you're giving bad legal advice, I don't care how slick and not even disingenuously slick. I don't care how good your marketing is or how good your copy is. It's going to, you're going to get a reputation that you're actually not a good lawyer, <laughs> you know, and people are going to stop hiring you. So you got to work on the art as well. But it's really the, the money stuff is I think the scariest stuff because that's what, you know, they say most divorces about money. I think a lot of bands breaking up is about money as well. Well, in terms of this notion of money, um, what do you? What would you advise for musicians who want to get more comfortable with money? Is this something that you can learn with education resource, or is this something that we have to put in the learn by doing bucket? I would say both. I would say that that if you are, you know, you talk in, uh, you know, in your book, which is great, by the way, uh, the Break the Business book, which I'm guessing anybody listening to this already knows all about it, but. You know, you talk about outsourcing, you know, and you any entrepreneur needs to have the, the, the self-awareness to know what their blind spots are. And then there's a couple of options or a few options. One is that you start to to kind of lean in on the money thing and you uh, start to not just, you know, hear people who are talking about like accountants who have nothing to do with the arts, but you listen to other musicians in books like yours. Um, in, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Passon's book and whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of books out there that kind of start to go into this stuff. Uh, and then you figure out that you actually kind of dig it. Like marketing, I'm way into. I started doing a little bit. I did a presentation at the Savvy Musician in Action Retreat a number of years ago as a thought leader. And and uh, it was on arts marketing. And I knew some stuff about arts marketing, but I then like dug deep and it was like, wow, this is fascinating to me. And so I've gone way in on marketing. I've read like I can't even tell you how many books and I've, again, consulted people on it, et cetera. There's other things that some people, maybe you, before you knew about this stuff, maybe you might have like – you know, investigated marketing, it's not really your thing. And so you don't force it. So you can either partner with someone who has that skill or who wants to get that skill. You can, um, you can either get the skill yourself, partner with someone who has it, or you can pay someone to their money for the rest of time will change hands for people that make problems go away. And, um, and you still, you can't just hire somebody. I don't care how much money you have to just market for me. I mean, it's like, it's way more, you know, it's your brand. It's gotta be you, but you can also outsource it, but you kind of have to, 
you have to try each of those things or at least think about it and see if you're into it. And if you're not, then you cannot, no one can be everything. I've had a boss in academia before. I've had a bunch of them, so this isn't uh, you know narrowing it down uh, too much, and I won't say who it was. But I had a boss in academia who was an incredible micromanager. I mean, this person just micromanaged everything, and it completely demoralizes a school of music when nobody's trying, you know, because the ball would get dropped all the time, and, and this person just did everything pretty well. They're super smart, but didn't do anything great, and there was really no time left over for leadership. You can't do everything for your band, at least initially. Um, well, you can, but then once things start to take off, then and you can't neglect the art, etc. So you just kind of got to feel your way, I think, by doing this stuff. But you can do it at the same time, right? I mean, you can be listening to podcasts like yours or uh, podcasts like mine while also doing the stuff and uh, and then just kind of always adjusting your balance of do I want to be doing this or do I want someone else to be doing this instead? I think that's the sweet spot is treating both of these things as a lifelong learning exercise like you always need yes. to be learning with all the learning resources out there and you always need to be doing and learning by doing uh, andrew this has been awesome i am already excited to attend your future music school once you build it um <laughs> I, I i love your insight and I, I hope that you know academia evolves in a way that you're describing because i think the industry will be better off for it as will artists uh, bef- yeah. and I, I could talk to you about a hundred more things I, I hate that we have these time constraints on this podcast but let me close with this question because i'm excited to hear your answer for it do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? The tip that I would share is what I call the Gary Vaynerchuk rule. I don't think that he's ever like named the rule after himself, but it's something that I've heard him speak about many times, which is, uh, you know, it's the 5149 rule, which is that if the person or people that you are interacting with, that you are doing business with, if they feel like they get 51% of the benefit of whatever transaction happened, then they are always happy that that transaction happened and they are almost always looking for it to happen again. And so if you can always be solving problems for other people, even while you are getting them to solve problems for you, then uh, then that is when uh, people want to be doing business with you. That's when someone else that that person knows who has a problem and then they say, I know a guy named Ryan, don't look anywhere else, email him, he's the guy, stop looking. And then that's how you get business because when they feel, and ideally you feel like you got more and they feel like they got more, but always think about the other person and their needs, whether this is artistic or financial or whatever, and, uh, and it's amazing what people will do for you, even when you don't ask. But then when you do finally ask for something maybe which is a 90-10 in your direction, in the last four, five, 15 times, they feel like they've gotten the benefit of the doubt, uh, they've gotten the advantage there, then they say, absolutely, Ryan, I will do that for you with no hesitation. Like, thank, you know, you, you were nice to ask because you could have just told me I'm doing that and I'm doing that for you. You can check out Andrew Hitz's podcast, The Entrepreneurial Musician, on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and at andrewhitz.com. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this week. This was terrific. Thank you for doing what you do. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast.
Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Andrew Hitz for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out the Entrepreneurial Musician podcast hosted by Andrew on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can also find out more about him at his website, www.andrewhitz.com. And you definitely want to make sure you do, because as we saw in the last segment, this guy's doing a lot of cool stuff, and he's got an amazing resume. Everything from Boston Brass to a music professor to hosting his own podcast to being a music industry consultant. There's going to be something for you there as an indie artist, so check them out at andrewhitswithaz.com. All right, we are opening up the Break the Business Coffee House this week. This has been, without a doubt, and to my surprise, the most popular segment for you guys. You guys have dug the coffee house. You know, the entertainment law stuff I talk about each week, The when I talk about, you know, the five things you need to have to market your career effectively, you like that stuff, you at least have a begrudging indifference to that stuff. But when I bring in awesome indie singer-songwriters in this coffeehouse segment, you all lose your minds. And I even had a listener tweet out a picture of themselves last month when we did the coffee house. They tweeted out a picture of themselves with a cup of coffee in their hand while listening to the segment last month. Gotta say, I appreciate your commitment to the concept. So joining us in the coffee house this week is Emia. She is awesome. She's going to be playing the piano for us today. The first piano player we've had in the coffee house. How you doing, Emia? I'm doing great. That's right. That's kind of a raucous applause for a coffee house. You know, you're, <laughs> you're expecting more of just like polite golfers claps, but you know, this is a, a large venue coffee house. Just, I'll take it. There you go. <laughs> um, and of course, we want to thank our friends at Women Crush Music as always for helping us put this together. This is a great organization. They provide networking opportunities, showcasing opportunities for women in music. They got chapters all over the U.S. and Canada. Check them out at womencrushmusic.com. You can find the chapter in your area. You've, you've done some stuff with them, right, Emia? Yeah, yeah. I did a show. Oh, I did one of the showcases in February at Sweat Records, and it was super sick. I love that venue. You know, we were just talking before uh, the interview started about how, you know, the Miami music scene is great, but it could be better. And, you know, we're really just we need more venues like Sweat Records, just a, a nice small hole in the wall where, you know, young indie artists can cut their teeth, get some reps and, you know, people can go out and enjoy good music. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah, agree more. Love it. Love it. Um, So, Emia, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here because I was at the Sweat Records show. You were there with a bunch of other uh, UM musicians. You guys crushed it. My, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. I can't believe the kind of talent that comes out of the Frost School at the University of Miami. You were awesome. So can you tell the folks a bit about your sound so they know what they're going to be in for when you perform a little later here? Of course. Um, well, I would describe my sound as like bedroom DIY pop. And uh, a lot of that is because everything is really created inside of my room or in someone else's room. Um, they always start off as these pretty much like piano, vocal, ballad, sad girl type of songs. And then um, they're transported into a computer 
And uh, that's where all the magic happens, where all the glitchy synths and the 808s and like the bass sounds and the atmospheric Foley things uh, all combine together to create this uh, this sonic atmosphere that's kind of the the pop sound that I have. But at the core of it, I th- I always feel like every one of these songs come back to the piano and the voice. Well, I love to hear about how indie artists are creating things because I mean, as you said, like a lot of these songs originate you know in your little home studios. And I've seen some artists who can do everything from their house and, you know, and, and some who kind of do it all in a studio somewhere and, and somewhere it's kind of in between. So the music that you're making, it starts off in your bedroom with your home studio setup. When you add all these other sweeteners to it, does that take place in your home as well? Or is that getting farmed out somewhere? Always, always in the home. Always really? in the home. Yeah. Always in, in my bedroom or someone else's living room or maybe sometimes like outside if the, like the, or in a coffee shop if the Wi-Fi is super bad at home. But yeah, it's, um, it's like so like in the box, like in, in the computer. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, every, Wow, because I mean, it sort of reminds me. We had a guest on. God, it would have been like a year and a half ago. A guy named Tim Kubart, who actually won the Grammy Award for Best Children's Album. And in his Grammy speech, he said, um, "You know, I want to thank the Academy for supporting music like mine. I made this entire album in my studio apartment in Brooklyn." And I think you know everybody in the room kind of gasped a little bit. But that's the way it can be now. Like you can do so much in your home, and you're a great example of that. So, you know, if you're, in case you're wondering if you might be in contention for a Grammy someday, you should know there's precedent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other reason why I'm glad to have you in here, other than, of course, that you're going to play a song. I promise she will, folks. But, you know, we have to kind of have a conversation here first. There's a <laughs> protocol. We're all about we're all about following the rules here at this podcast. Um, I'm excited to have you in here because I think you're going to kind of help us pick up this conversational thread we've been having since the beginning of this episode. So we've been talking throughout all three segments now about music schools and the way that they're teaching. And you can really help us. I'd love to get your perspective because you are actually just about to graduate from music school. Yep, T-minus like eight days. Oh, uh, (laughs) wait, shouldn't you be studying for finals right now? What the hell are you doing here? (laughs) This is so irresponsible. Uh, You know, if if you knew some of the stuff I had to do for school, you'd be like, you're making the right decision being here. God, I feel like you're going to stumble at the finish line, have to like come back for another semester, and I'm going to feel so bad about it. Good Lord. Well, we very much appreciate you being here then, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I hope that you're not just you're ruining your academic career over this podcast. But um, you have gone through the music school process. And one of the things that our last guest, Andrew Hitz, talked about was sort of his frustration with the way music schools are currently structured, which basically is that... Even though as the music industry continues to evolve, it's more and more important for indie artists to learn about entrepreneurship, financial planning, strategic management, just running your own business as an artist. And even though all of that's the case, music schools are still teaching the same way they did in 1950, which is we're going to teach you how to play the oboe. And if you want to learn about music business, tough. That's not in the curriculum. Uh, uh, how has your experience been in that with in that regard? Because you're an indie artist, entrepreneur, you have to know this stuff. Like, do you feel like music schools could be better with this? Like a million times, yes. <laughs> I I could not stress the need for a better understanding of the music business in terms of running your own business enough. And um, at least from my experience, it seems like at least from the program that I went through, I would describe it as a very nice attempt at trying to insert 
what's current, but ultimately failing because, like you said, kind of a um, a has like a, a kind of people being very hesitant with um, embracing what's kind of intangible almost because I think no one no one has like set out these specific rules and these processes that would streamline what it's like to be an indie artist. And I think in schools and academia, they really want something that's just like a solid formula, like get your master's, like, you know, go like student teach, become a teacher. That's just so easy to wrap around. But I feel like the reason why we just haven't been able to get the information of how to be an indie artist in 2018 is because there's just so many different ways and everyone's afraid to just kind of pick one lane and show us how to do it. And I, that's kind of what I've, I'm seeing or what I've seen throughout the past four years. That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, there's definitely a lot of factors at play. One of the things Andrew talked about was just that academia in general is very resistant to change. And then you couple that with the fact that the music business or music school in general faculty just don't know how to do this stuff. You know, they graduated from music school, you know, 30 years ago. They went right into academia. They've never had to, like, put out an album on their own. They don't know, you know, CD Baby from a hole in the ground. And so they don't know how to teach these things. Frankly, you as students would probably do a better job teaching them than they would be teaching you in these concepts. So there's a there's an expertise issue. There's a resistance to change issue. So for you, because you've done some cool things in your career as an indie artist, you're starting to develop a nice little presence on YouTube here. Where have you gone to kind of get the knowledge you need to fill these gaps that haven't hasn't really been provided by conventional music school? Um, I like to really stock the artists that I really like and I happen to be lucky to be really interested in a lot of different indie pop artists that I feel like just by following their careers is an education enough for me and I kind of just try to follow their footsteps and like go back to like or how did they release their first single what blogs did they reach out to um like what like who are the producers that they've worked with? Like what venues did they play at? And kind of retrace their steps. And I kind of realize that there are a lot of like similar things that happen um, where, you know, there are like up and coming playlists and blogs that like newer artists seem to kind of gravitate towards. And that's like the first step in trying to get buzz. And I see like, you know, going way back into their Instagram and their Twitter feeds, you know, how their brand has developed and, and me kind of understanding, okay, like when they started getting, maybe it's a correlation causation thing, but it seems like, you know, the more success they have, the more refined they are in terms of their aesthetic and their musical identity. And that's kind of education for me where it's like, okay, if I want to be an artist like XYZ, looks like I'm going to have to stop like posting things that are really irrelevant and like act as like a real artist because they're not, I think a big thing for me to read up about these artists and you know, sometimes I'm lucky and they do their own podcasts or they write their own articles and they'd have their own interviews where they kind of spill out their, you know, genius secrets. But I kind of find out that they're so, they're basically like me. And the only difference is they treat themselves, you know, as an, like an artist who's signed to a major label and doing the same things and, um, not kind of viewing themselves and portraying themselves as just like, oh, like I'm a person and I'm not attached to a label and I kind of make music. There's just like a really, really um, defined thing about them. And 
I guess the other way that I kind of learned how to operate as an indie artist is, you know, basically doing it. A lot of my education has come from after like putting out like a few singles or posting YouTube videos, I get hit up a lot through SoundCloud or through my email from other musicians, mainly producers who've um, asked me to collaborate. And usually the people who ask me to collaborate are a little bit further along in terms of their own presence online and as an indie artist and just kind of talking to them and pretending like I know what I'm doing and them being like, all right, like we have like this, like, little PR company that we work with or I have this manager that does XYZ or this like indie label is going to help us with that and just me like watching as like the cycle of the song goes from you know our respective bedrooms and computers into the world I've just seen like kind of the process of oh the best way to do this is like reach out to these people and do that and like present yourself this way and that's kind of my education so far it's really cool to see sort of the for lack of a better word coping mechanisms that (laughs) you know young indie artists do to kind of get the education they need I hear some artists answer that question by saying I get the education by just voraciously consuming every blog and podcast I can find. You know, I, I take some online courses. I go to some master classes. I hear some say, and Andrew Hitz talked about this in the last segment, I learn by doing. I just, I, I put my albums out there. I make a bunch of mistakes. I learn from those mistakes. I get better. And, you know, the, the mechanism you brought up is pretty interesting, which is I learn by others' examples. I see how other folks are doing it. I study them closely and I, you know, pick up some great tips along the way. And not to say that that's the only way you're doing things, because as you said, you know, you're also learning by doing and, you know, connecting yourselves with others, but it's just really, really fascinating. It would be nice to see that very high-priced music school you paid for kind of helping bridge that gap a little more by giving you some valuable education in that area. But one of the things that I know that music school has done for you is helped you on your creative journey and has you know made you the best musician you can be. And I would love very much for you to show the listeners uh, where you are in that regard. <laughs> you have a great song that you're ready here to play for us here in the Break the Business Coffee House. Uh, what is the title of it? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, the song is called If You Can't Take the Rain. And I wrote it, um, I think during the summer while I was in the middle of a long distance relationship and I was going through a very tough time and I was calling my then significant other very frequently, you know, just kind of venting. And um, at one point he was just like, Like, it's just like really, really hard to hear you be so sad all the time. And I don't really know if I really want to engage in that. And I don't know. I think this is my coping mechanism of trying to, I guess, like calm myself down and like tell myself that like, you know, it's it's hurtful to hear that kind of thing. But I really do trust that like um, like the right kind of people aren't going to be afraid or turned off by that kind of like emotional vulnerability. So can you take the rain is a question you're asking to another in this song. You know, it's, you know, can you, can you sort of handle the the things that I'm bringing and, and help me with the things I'm going through? Or is it like a question internally? It's more like, um, it's kind of like, well, if you can't take the rain, then that's cool. Like I'm out. It's it's pretty it's not even really a question. It's more just like these are the standards in which I have put for myself. And, you know, if you want to go, 
like there's nobody stopping if you can't handle me at my worst oh my god (laughs) yeah in a lot of gigs i sometimes like i get really snarky and i'm just like you know marilyn monroe once said like you know if you can't handle me at my worst like you don't deserve my best and i'm like i wrote this song and i I tried to say it better than her like so that's basically how i should have introduce this song but yeah that is the concept of it i really need to hear this now okay Okay. uh here we go um just take it away i'm looking forward to this okay But if you 
Emia, everybody, how about that? <laughs> oh man, I I've never been more distraught as I heard a song wrapping up. I was like, oh, that can't. There's got to be more. That was that was fantastic, man. I, I I can tell that you know you can always tell when you hear a song when it was the product of just a lot of you know internal just anguish and just you know a lot of emotion went into that. Like I mean, I felt like I was there with you, like sobbingly. <laughs> talking to your significant other about your (laughs) challenges at at music school that's that that really is a special song uh that's truly fantastic um thank you so much for playing that for all of us um folks you can check her out if you want to hear a lot more like that and there is a lot more like that because she's been putting out a new song i think every week uh on youtube for a while uh it's at and you can uh that's so you can check her out on youtube and also this is emia this is e-m-i-a dot com sorry i'm a little flustered that was really good (laughs) so where else can people find you if they want to enjoy your music more um yeah i'm on all streaming platforms i think the best place to listen to my music is soundcloud and youtube and uh soundcloud it's soundcloud.com slash this is emia all my social media handles are at this is emia and uh for youtube it's youtube.com slash at vile a-t-v-i-l-e it's a long story, but I can't change my URL at this point. But if you type in EMIA, E-M-I-A, I'm, I should be the first thing that pops up. Well, that's very good to hear. That's yeah. so, so good. And, you know, I'm so glad that you're you're graduating. And so I assume that means you'll have even more time to put into your career and make lots more great music for us to enjoy. So all the best in all that you do. If there's anything we can do to help you as you continue to move forward, please don't hesitate to reach out. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. And our thanks to Andrew Hitz for joining us in the previous segment. And my thanks to all of you for listening to Break the Business this week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 